very much like a sunrise when you come in to work with the children to sing or lead worship. A little bit of the sunshine means so much to others, Ellie. And I think you know that. Sometimes we don't realize how much a smile from a young person means to the others in the congregation. I remember that when I came to this church many years ago, how a smile from someone else could really touch. How I pray that the light in you will remain strong and illuminate each step that you take. The goals you shared with me for your future at college and beyond are big ones, right? They are. They're really huge. But they're not too big for you and for God. May God give you spiritual eyes and discernment and make you a great influence for good in your generation. May he bless you by transforming you by his light in order to make a difference for his purposes in this big, complicated, and sometimes scary world that we live in. We, the body, at Grace Community Fellowship, pray you have been blessed by us also. We are the body of Christ, not just to work, but to build one another up in the faith of our Lord Jesus. We will continue to hold you up in prayer, Ellie, and ask God to extend his call upon your life and to influence people and nations with his light through you. Bless you, Ellie, Connie, and the Church of Grace Community Fellowship. And then I put a verse at the bottom. What am I supposed to say? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe what you're going to do. I, oh gosh, I'm going to Biola in La Mirada, California, um, and I'm going to be studying secondary education in English, so I'm going to be a high school English teacher one day, so yeah.
Lord, you are our hope. We place all of our um, trust in you, all of our futures in you. Um, We want to live daily just with you in view. Um, Everything that we are, everything that we do, focused on uh, your your coming and um, not placing our hopes in this world and the things that, that we can gain in this world, not even placing hopes in in Ellie's future and college and those kinds of things. We don't want to place our hope in anything but you. You are the one who, um, who holds everything together and holds all of our futures in your hand. And, um, and uh, we entrust our lives to you as our living hope. For this only your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you. I think my family conspired to uh, give me 42 gifts. Oh, what, what, what's that? Thank you, thank you. I've got a pile of gifts up here that, uh, that I, uh, I think I'm up to 42. I lost count, um, but my basket overflow, it does. My mask, on the other hand, um, overbreaketh. Um, Which is a surprise. These things are such high quality uh, devices here. (sighs) Well, uh, no, I don't think that's one of the exceptions to the uh, to the rule. Um, I wish. Well, today um, we are. going to be uh, in Matthew 25. Uh, we're actually finishing Matthew today, which is, uh, is exciting in, in some ways because it's kind of like a milestone that we're, we're finishing up Matthew. Um, and if you're wondering, hey, aren't there 28 chapters in Matthew? Yes, there are, but we kind of went out of order. So if you, if you missed 26 through 28, it's on the website. You guys can, can go listen to that. Uh, but this will finish up kind of our catch-up um, that we needed to do in Matthew. Um, the exciting thing is, because uh, it's a milestone, but also because we're headed into a couple of, um, of things that I'm really excited about. Um, one is uh, Nathaniel's going to be speaking next week, which is, is, is awesome. Uh, we will actually be on vacation this next week, which is also <laughs> awesome. Um, and... Um, and then uh, the following week, we're going to start uh, a series for, for two months um, where uh, different guys who are uh, on the elder board are going uh, to share some of, um, well, not some of, all of uh, what we've put together for, um, for reworking our statement of faith here at the church or, or what we believe uh, here at the church. Um, and so I'm excited about that, to be able to go through that. And then in... Uh, September, I'm super excited. I've been looking forward to this for a year and a half because I, I, I kind of planned out that we were going to do this. Um, we're going to start Romans, and I'm super excited about that. Absolutely, hands down, my favorite uh, book in all of Scripture for a number of reasons. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's where we're headed. But today we are in Matthew 25. And um, 
I am going to take this at a pretty good clip at this point uh, because I know we've got a chapter to cover, but um, we, we are also trying to honor that, uh, that hour-long service um, goal uh, that's part of the safety guidelines that, that, that we've been floated. So, um, so let's get, get right in, into this. Last week, if you remember, uh, we're, we're right in the middle of what... Um, Theologians called the Olivet Discourse. We've got to put names on things, I guess. This was this was a, a, a teaching that was given on the Mount of Olives. So, Olives, Olivet Discourse. Yeah, they they kind of just come up with these things. So um, we're right in the middle of this. Um, we saw last week um, that Jesus was talking about some things to come. His disciples asked some questions of him about the destruction of the temple and. Um, and about uh, when his return was going to be, and he talked a little bit about that. And this is really finishing up that, um, that section. Remember, because um, this really leads right into what we're going to talk about today, Jesus' point with the disciples was not to fill in all the details with them. His point was to make sure that they were ready for what was coming that they were ready for the destruction of the temple, that they were ready for his return. That was the key thing. And that in the, in the intervening time between when Jesus left the earth and when he was going to return to the earth, that they needed to be faithful as we need to be faithful to, to continue to, um, to, to do what we're supposed to do in being prepared for his coming. And he's going to continue with that theme this morning um, right away, actually. We'll, we'll see it here. This is uh, right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 25. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the, the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now while, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. So he gives this little parable, this little story um, to illustrate a, a point he's trying to make. And what we have is we have these 10 uh, virgins, really just single ladies. You have these 10 single ladies. Um, five of them are the, are the sensible, the, the thoughtful, the, the, the prudent ones. Um, and five of them were, were, the, were the foolish ones, which is uh, the, the Bible translator's ways of, of coming up with a nice word, uh, for what the word really is, which is it's, it's kind of a harsh term. It's, it's like, um, I know we, we couldn't say this word in our house, the kids couldn't, but it's like stupid uh, or, or dumb or idiotic. Um, that's, that's these other five. They're just, they're, they're, they're foolish ones. And, and the reason why, he, he, he lays it out right from the beginning, the reason why five are prudent and five are foolish is the five prudent ones, they go out to meet the groom, and we'll talk about what that is here in a second. They go out to meet the groom, and they um, bring not only their their lamps, and these lamps are, are actually like torches, uh, like think torch, like like a, a stick with rags wrapped around it, that kind of picture. And they brought their torch as they should have, but they brought no oil for their torches to keep their torches burning for a long period of time. And you have this other five who prepared, and they brought oil for their torches so that they could uh, be prepared for however long it was going to take for the groom to come. That's the setup here. Um, so they get drowsy. They begin 
to sleep. Now, the picture here, um, what's interesting is, you know, we have a lot of historical information about um, the first century, but we actually have um, very limited information comparatively to the other information we have of the culture of the time. We have pretty limited information on marriage customs of the time. We have some information, but it's limited. And, and so we don't know exactly what's going on here, but there definitely was a tradition in, um, in this region, maybe not necessarily in Judea, but in this region for the, the um, bridesmaids, basically, these, these single ladies, to go out and meet the groom as the groom is coming to the, to the bride, to the, to, to the festivities um, for the bride. And, and they meet him and they bring him in and then the bride kind of joins the party and they all head back over to the groom's place for a big party. So that's probably what's happening here. We don't know. It doesn't really make a huge difference uh, to the point of this, but that kind of seems to be what's happening here. They're going out to meet the groom, and they, they have to wait for, it, for them. But he's delaying. That's the important thing in this, in this, in this story. He's delaying. He's, he's, it's taking longer than they expected for him to come. And so they got drowsy, and they began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then, the, then all those virgins, those single ladies, rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for, you, for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. So now the, the moment has arrived, right? The, the groom is coming. The reason that they need the torches is for when the groom comes. Um, the, the wise one, the prudent ones who had oil so that they could outlast however long it was going to take for the groom to come had what they needed. They were prepared. And the other five didn't have what they needed. And so there was kind of this dilemma in the story. Either no, uh, no torches are going to work because we're going to share the oil or five torches are gonna work. Well, obviously we want the five torches to work. So you guys run, go get what you need and come back, okay? Verse 10, while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. And he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. You're not a part of that group. I did, when I came, you weren't there. I don't know who, who you are. So they, they, they get back. They, they rush back, these unprepared um, single ladies, and, and, and it's too late. They've lost their opportunity. It wasn't that they didn't want to be a part of the wedding party. It wasn't that they uh, didn't want to be prepared. They thought they had brought their torches. The problem was they, did, they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared how they should have been prepared. That's his, that's the point of his story. And then he gives us the application for us. 13, be on alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. And this idea of being on alert is being prepared at any given moment. You don't know the day or the hour. He already expressed that in, in the passage we looked at last week. Uh, we have no clue when Jesus is gonna come back. And so the the key is not to look for signs of his coming and try to, try to time it out, 
try to figure it out and go, okay, I'm going to, it seems like maybe he's going to come in a month from now, so I'm going to be prepared a month from now. It seems like he's going to come three years from now, so I'm going to be prepared three years from now. There's, um, there's, you guys have probably seen this over time. Uh, many of you have lived many more years than I have and seen things come and go over time, right? In my lifetime, there were, there were these books that came out, a series of books that came out of the fact that Jesus was going to come back in 1988, right? And he had all this proof of why, look, 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 this, 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 and he's coming back in 1988. The problem with a book like that is not that he was just horribly wrong, right? It's, yeah, 2020. Um, but that um, that. He, he and, and those who bought his stuff were missing the point of this parable. The point is not to be, can you imagine being in 1986 reading that book and going, oh, he's not coming back till 1988. I'm good. No, you're missing it. Be prepared now. And maybe there were some who, who made preparations and went, okay, I'm, I'm going to be ready, 1988, that's when it's going to happen. So I, I, they're, they're like, they're burning the candle at both ends. They're just, they're going to that 1988 point and then it doesn't happen. And then, oh, wait, I'm not prepared to continue on. Like, that's not how to do it. How to do it is be prepared every day, every moment, at any time, Jesus come back, and I'm going to be ready now. I'm going to be ready if it's a month from now. I'm going to be ready if it's five years from now. I'm in this for the long haul. This is not a, a flash in the pan thing. And I, and I think most of us have been around long enough to see the flash in the pan thing, to see the flash in the pan person, right? Who, who there's so much passion, and, and, and they're just totally focused, and then, but, but it, it, they've they just burn out. He's calling for the faithful looking to his coming, being faithful as we look to his coming. So uh, if you have your, your hand out there and want to fill it in, it says, live in such a way that if you see Jesus tomorrow or 100 years from now, you will be prepared. Obviously, that's an exaggeration. None of us are going to see 100 years from now. Um, but uh, live in such a way that if you see Jesus tomorrow or 100 years from now, you will be prepared. So as part of this, this including some things from our second service format, we want to do a little bit of interacting um, this morning. And so um, like we did a couple weeks ago, Sarah Joy's got uh, some, some uh, mics to run around. Here's the question I want uh, um, us to just ponder a little bit, just uh, discuss a little bit. Here's some comments about, what do you think this looks like? What do you think long-term readiness might look like in your life? Um, what, is it, what does it take to be faithful over the long haul? Some of you are, are, are living on the, uh, on the back end of a long haul of faithfulness. What does that take? What can you share with those of us who are farther back in that long haul? How do we remain faithful? Just throw up your hand if you want to share, and Sarah Joy will run to you. She's got the mic. For the people at home, they need to hear you, and the rest of us. Being in the Word daily. Being in the Word, Yeah. I think if we look at it we're going, for the long haul, sometimes that just is, is I, I agree with, um, with her because I think if you 
are overwhelmed by the long haul, and you, I think you have to just walk out each day. Mm-hmm. That means every day walking by faith, and walking by faith takes action. It takes actually stepping out in that faith of believing the word that we read and what we're learning and then walking out in that. And um, I think as we, for me personally, when I look at the big picture of something, sometimes it's overwhelming. How am I going to get this done? You know, and I look at that 100 years from now, I'm like, okay, um, so I have to stop. I can't look at 100 years from now. I have to see what God's calling me to today. What is he calling me to do today? And be faithful to that. And sometimes I fail, and then his mercies are new the next morning for me, and I'm thankful that his grace is bigger than my failures. I look at it as a, uh, an aspect of keeping my relationship with my Lord Jesus fresh and new and keep uh, working on that and being aware of what he's doing in my life and in the, around me and to be working for the sake of the kingdom and not for, um, for me. And that's uh, so that when he does return, he finds me doing what he wants me to do. So you're saying don't hit neutral. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you think about this story, and this is a little bit, I think, beyond what Jesus is describing here. But I think about those five ladies. They could have, right when they realized they didn't have enough oil, they could have run and gotten oil, right? And they would have, they would have been prepared. But, yeah, they were foolish. They weren't prepared. Uh, let's keep going. Um, so with that, that in mind, this, this question in mind, actually, um, how do we remain faithful over the long haul? How do we encounter every day um, faithfully as we go toward this this? This, this hope that's down the road um, that we don't know when the destination's gonna hit. Um, he gives us some practical um, advice here. Um, says this, says, for it's like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So you have this, this man, this, this master, he calls three of his slaves to him, and he entrusts his possessions to them. Um, all of his possessions, his, his estate, um, his finances, he entrusted to them. And um, he entrusts them with talents. Now, um, you've probably figured out at this point that I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to words. I love... I love the history of the word talents because we use talent today as like an ability, right? An innate ability. Um, We actually got that word from this parable, which this parable, um, that's that's a weight. It's a weight measurement, um, talent is. So it would be almost like me saying, um, you know, Kevin playing the piano, uh, man, look, look at the pounds on that guy right? We'd be like, that's weird. Like, you don't say that. Um, but that's the idea is that this was a weight measurement. It was a weight measurement for, um, for a long time, had been since, um, since, way build, since Babylonian times. It, it had been a weight measurement. Um, but we've taken that word and made it into something uh, that an ability that God has given or gifted someone with, and we call that a talent. Well, the reason why we did that is because of the application of this passage. 
this passage is kind of speaking about talents, the way that we speak about talents today, how we use that word today. And you'll see that here in a second. But, but in the context of this story, he's entrusting five talents to one guy, two talents to another guy, and one talent to another guy. And it's important to understand the reason why he gives five to one, two to another, and one to another is he gave it to them according to, to his own ability. He knew these guys. He knew their capabilities. He knew, knew what they were talented at, right? He, he knew their capacities, and so he entrusted five to one. He didn't give them more than what their, their ability could, could handle, right? So he gives five to one and two to another and one to another. And you've also got to understand that this is a significant, uh, th- this is a wealthy, wealthy man. Five talents is, uh, is worth, in today's money, uh, $4.25 million dollars. Two talents is $1.7 million. One talent is $850,000. So he's entrusting a lot of money to these guys. And in fact, he's trusting all of his money to these guys. And he gave it to them based on their ability, and he trusted that they would do something with these talents. He's a businessman, right? He's a very wealthy person in this society. They would have known he's a businessman. That's the context of this. He's expecting them to do something with this. That's why he entrusts it to them, to do something with it. And this is what happens. Immediately, the one who had received five talents traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same way, the one who received two talents gained two more. But he who received one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Get this in mind, right? We just talked about the the amount of money we're talking about here. The guy who had $4.25 million gained $4.25 million more for his master. Now he's eight and a half million dollars that he gets to hand back to his master when he comes, right? The two talent guy has 1.7 million dollars. He invests it right, he gets 3.4 million dollars that he gets to hand back to his master. The other guy goes and buries it in a hole. Guess what he has to give back to the master? The same amount he was given, 850,000. So this is not going to go well, we know already. Verse 19, he says, Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents. Here you go, master, eight and a half million dollars. Master, you entrusted five talents to me. You trusted me with that. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. Nice job. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Which that statement actually means come enjoy what your master enjoys. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me, $1.7 million. See, I've gained two more talents. Now here's $3.4 million for you. You entrusted this to me, and this is what I did with it. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 
This is an identical statement. I think we need to pay attention to this. I think it's intentional that Jesus uses this identical statement. He wasn't expecting the one he entrusted with two talents to, do, to make as much as the one he entrusted with five talents, right? He knew, he entrusted them with what he knew they could handle, right? And they did, they were faithful with what they were given. And the guy with two talents, he was faithful with what he was given. He had the same response from the master. It wasn't the amount of money that the master got back. It was the faithfulness of the slaves. And then we have this. And the one who had received one talent, $850,000, came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seeds, and I was afraid. I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. You entrusted me with $850,000. Here's $850,000. I did nothing with it. But his master answered him and said, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on arrival, I would have received money back with interest. Do something with it. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. I can't trust you. I entrusted this with you, but obviously I can't trust you. You did nothing with what I gave you. And granted, he had, you know, a legitimate excuse why he did nothing with what he was given. He said, I was afraid of you. There was, there was fear in me. And maybe it might go wrong. So I, I just did nothing. Here's the point of the, of the story. He says, for to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Keep in mind the context, right? He's talking about faithfulness as we wait for his return, right? That's what the story is about. Being faithful with what, what they had been given while the master was away. What we are called to do as we await the master is to be faithful with what we've been given. With what you've been given, with, with, with what I've been given. And we've all been given different things, right? We have uh, a different amount of truth that's been built into our life. Each one of us is unique in that way. We have a different level of faith, ability to trust God. Some of us have more ability to trust God in certain areas of our life. Some of us have less ability to trust God with our lives. Some of us have certain talents and other of us have other talents. And some of us have different different skills that we've learned through the years. And, and some uh, of us have, some of us have mechanical skills. Some of us have, you know, calculation skills. All of us are different in the way that we've been, we've been gifted, that God has just, just gave it to us kind of when we stepped on the earth. And, and different in the way that we've been raised, different in the way that we've, different, our, our backgrounds are different and what we've been trained in. We have different job situations. We have different relationships. We have different family situations. We have different opportunities day after day after day. We all have unique opportunities. You have opportunities that I will never see. You have opportunities, I have opportunities that you will never see. These are all things that we've been entrusted with. 
And there are things that keep us from being faithful to, 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 this, to what we've been entrusted with. Sometimes that's fear. Fear of how things might go down. I know that's driven me at times. Sometimes it's just plain laziness. I don't want to step up to the plate. Right? That's what was going on with this guy. Fear and laziness, right? We, we think sometimes, man, if I put myself out there, I might fail. Yeah, you might. But that doesn't matter. Are you being faithful to what you've been called to? I honestly think, and again, this is beyond the story, right? I think if, if, the, if the one talent guy would have gone and invested and lost money, but been faithful with what he had, the master would have gone, good job. Way to be faithful. Way to be faithful. It's calling us to, to commit to what he's, been, he's given us. Maybe there's a person in your life that's just super draining and you're like, I just don't want to be drained by that. But you know, you know that you've been entrusted with that person in your life. We're good at, we're good at excuses. He, he had some excuses ready for his master. We're good at those. We're good at explaining why we're unfaithful, why we're not being faithful to what God's called us to but the call on our lives. And there's always grace, right? There's always grace when we're unfaithful. That's not what we're talking about here. What he's talking about is, this is what we're called to do in the meantime. Be faithful with what you've been given. Don't feel like you have to do more than what you've been given. If you weren't given the five talents, you were given the two talents, invest the two talents. But be faithful to what you've been called to. I'm called to be faithful to what I've been called to. Put your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is in the meantime, while we're waiting, be faithfully using what he has given you. And I know I've had uh, some conversations along these lines before and had people go, I have no clue. Right? I don't know what he's given me. Pray about that. Talk about that. Ask other people. What do you think God's entrusted me with to be faithful to? Where do I need to be operating and working and serving? What relationship do I need to be maintaining? Let's keep going. Verse 31, he says, But when the Son of Man comes in, in his glory and all the angels with him, when he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put his, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Obviously, those are illustrations. He's not talking about ranching here and, and separating sheep and goats, but it's just an illustration. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now let me just stop real quick, pause real quick, because sometimes this section of Scripture can be read. We're so, um, we're so salvation-minded, conversion-minded in the 21st century church, in my opinion, that sometimes we're, we're so focused on who's out and who's in that we miss the point of passages like this because we're so focused on, is he talking about those who are out and those who are in? That's not the focus of what he's talking about here. He's talking about faithfulness. He's continuing to talk about faithfulness. So understand, when, when he's, he's, he's talking here, this statement becomes important 
to help us kind of calm our thinking on this, the, those that are on his right, the, those, those that are, are, um, are inheriting the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world, they are those who have been blessed by the Father. This is not a, a message of works that, that he's about to talk about, salvation by works. That's not what he's talking about here. We, those of us who are going to inherit the kingdom, we have been blessed by the Father. It's his grace that covers it. He's not talking about who's in and out here. Well, he is talking about who's in and out, but he's not talking about how to get in and out, okay? Let's keep going. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to drink. I was thirsty and you gave me some." I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and you give me something to drink? When did you see a stranger and invite, and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. He's, he's instantly connecting these two concepts that we like to separate, which is our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We go, hey, I'm great with God. God and I are good. We're, everything is good. I hate you, but God and I are good. No, no, I'm gonna talk badly about you, but God and I are good. That does not exist. He closely links how we love people with how we love God. And, and he always does this, by the way, but he's making that very, very clear to us right here. When we love people, we are loving God. Those things are, are, are inseparable. Understand the key here, though. This is, this is where we need to, to make sure we stay on target because I won't go deep into this, but, but there's been some, some theologies and some big theologies, especially in, that have come out of like South American countries and stuff uh, like 50 or 60 years ago that, that would say the way to heaven is to, to invite the stranger in. The way to heaven is to, is to close someone who needs clothes. Basically, if you do philanthropic work, that's how you're going to get into heaven. That's so not what he's talking about here. What he is talking about is the people of the kingdom, those that, that, are, that are entering the kingdom, the kingdom that are blessed by the Father, this is what that group looks like. That group looks like people who, who care about other people, who love God by loving other people. That's, that's who we are. The, the illustration that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is, is a doctor um, does does not become a doctor by seeing patients, right? A doctor does not become a doctor by doing surgeries. A doctor becomes a doctor by going through a bunch of schooling and residency and all that stuff, and then they become a doctor, right? Now, after they adopt, they're a doctor, what do they do? They see patients. They do surgeries. That's what he's talking about here. Getting into the kingdom, totally not what he's talking about here. But those who are part of the kingdom, this is faithfulness. This is what our day-to-day -day lives should look like as a people, is that we love people. We love God by loving people. On the flip side, it says, then he will also say to those on his left, 
These are those who are not a part of the kingdom. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm just gonna stop there and just say something that we don't like to talk a lot about, but this is really real. It's really real that there are some who their final destination is a place of eternal punishment. It's very, very real. And whether it makes us uncomfortable to talk about it or not, it's still real. And we need to understand that it's real. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. That group doesn't look like the other group. Their behavior. Then they will say to themselves and also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? If we knew it was you, we would have done something about it. I think he's, he's at least partially kind of poking at the religious leaders of this time right now, right? Because they, because they would have gone, whatever the rules are, whatever I need to do, just tell me what I need to do and I'm going to go do that. Oh, that's you over there? You're not this one, you're this one, right, Jesus? Okay, I'm gonna go help this one because that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't care about this other one. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't understand. He will answer them and say, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. The, the description of these people, just like the talent guy, is their inaction. They did not do what God called them to. They did not, they were not faithful to what he had called them to. And he answered them and said, uh, no, 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 these, 46, these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me just reiterate. Again, he's not talking about what's, what's going to destine people for eternal, eternal punishment is not being philanthropic. That's not what destines. But those who are destined for that, they're not faithful to loving others. That's the general state that they're in. His whole point is not how to get on the path to heaven or get on the path to hell. His whole point is what is it like to be a kingdom person and what is it like to not be a kingdom person. And if you're a kingdom person, faithfulness to loving people, that's, that's what it looks like to be a kingdom person. So the, the point of your handout, somewhat hopefully filling this in here, the end of history will include a separation of mankind into the righteous who will receive everlasting life and the unrighteous who will receive everlasting punishment. The righteous will be marked as those who served God by serving people. The end of history will include a separation of mankind into the righteous who will receive everlasting life and the unrighteous who will receive everlasting punishment. The righteous will be marked as those who served God by serving people. So the question this morning, it, it may be for you, Am I a part of the, 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 the righteous group? Am I a part of the, the kingdom of heaven? Am I a part of those who are following Jesus? But, but I think probably that's not the question for most of us. The question is, 
are we being faithful? That's his whole point here. Are we being faithful to what he's called us to? As his return is, is out in the distance and we have no idea when he's going to return, daily are we living faithful as the people that he's called us to, to be? Are we, are we using the opportunities that he's entrusted us with, using the gifts that he's entrusted us with? Are we loving people with those gifts that he's entrusted us with? Are we serving people? Final question for us just to discuss just a little bit as we're hitting that hour mark um, is what are some things that might keep us from serving God by serving people? If this is the call on our lives to serve God by serving people, what things trip us up from that? What things keep us from that? And this is a chance to interact a little bit. So if you have a thought on that, raise your hand. Sarah Joy will uh, run it over to you. Yeah, what are some things that might keep us from serving God by serving people? Let me simplify that. What things keep us from serving people? What things hang us up, hold us back? As people of the kingdom, what are things that hold us back from that? I would say fear. Fear of judgment, fear of not being good enough, fear of not doing the right thing, fear in general. I would agree. Busyness. I think I was just being challenged in this because sometimes I'm about my own work and not my father's work. Mm. And I get stuck in... What I, you know, and it feels like I'm doing good, right? But I'm not stopping for those people in need because I'm like, I'm busy. I've got to get this thing done. I have that same tendency myself. I think complacency. Uh, One of the things that I've seen since we've been through this isolation thing and being home and not being busy, like Christina said. I think we get so busy with our lives. And since I've been home so much and been alone a lot, I've really had a lot of time to think about why I do things, why I don't do things, why I go to church, uh, what matters. And I think um, a lot of times my heart gets very complacent and lazy. And maybe that's what happens with us when we're so blessed with so much goodness in our lives that we tend to begin to take things for granted. And sometimes it takes hard things like losing things or being um, ill or uh, coronavirus to get us to realize that maybe we really aren't loving our neighbor. I've been studying about how, you know, we're supposed to believe in Jesus and love our neighbor. I think sometimes, for me myself, I'm speaking, I believe in Jesus with all my heart. But I haven't followed through with that other part, and I think it's laziness for me. 
can also identify that with that. All right, we'll have the band come up and we'll sing one final song this morning. And then uh, we'll head outside to uh, socialize a little bit. I will say as they're coming up, um, we have some spots out there for folks who want to come into the parking lot, don't feel like they can come in, but kind of want to be a part of what's going on, and they're listening on a, on a, on a radio broadcast. Um, if there's some parked out there, part of it is, is to have some social time for them. So they'll roll, roll down your win their window and include them in the socialization, I guess is what I'm saying. Let's sing. Stand together.
Bist du.